To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I kept watching the night visions, and there in the clouds of heaven I saw one like a son of man coming. He came to the Ancient of Days, and he was brought before him. To him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages will worship him. His dominion is an eternal dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the nation of Israel, and then even after its civil war in the nation of Judah where the temple was, never really was faithful to the covenant they made with God. They weren't supposed to chase after false gods. They were supposed to stick with all those rules and regulations and trust in him for salvation. And generation after generation broke the covenant. God sent them a warning with the Assyrians and let them take the northern kingdom. I mean it. I'm going to quit protecting you. But they broke the covenant over and over again. And finally, he allows the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem. And they don't leave two bricks standing on top of the other. The temple is destroyed. All worship in the formal way God had prescribed it was done and over with for 75 years. But there were those who were faithful. Men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, the prophet Ezekiel, and people who maybe weren't inspired to write the scriptures that had remained true, and yet were going to have to endure the suffering because the entire nation as a whole had rejected God. And so it is that Daniel is given a vision. We have to remember that the nation of Israel was the one that had the word of God. They were the one to whom the Savior was to be born, and that was their significance. So Daniel has a dream, and in this vision he sees all the nations that are going to rule over the nation of Israel until the kingdom of Christ comes. Now in that vision, this is where he has that winged lion is the first one, and that one, probably Daniel even knew who that was, because the Babylonians had already conquered Jerusalem and hauled him off to exile, and guess what their national symbol was? Just like we have the eagle for America, theirs was that winged lion. After that, he sees a lopsided bear. One side is really strong and the other one's weak. You and I know what Daniel would live through as well and probably be able to guess. The next kingdom to conquer Israel was the Medeo-Persian Empire. But you don't hear about the Medes, you hear about the Persians, hence the lopsided bear. The Medes weren't as powerful and well-known as the Persians. And then after that, he sees a vision of a four-headed cheetah. A cheetah is a fast animal. The next nation, and this is going to be very significant to come, we know through history, Daniel would not be alive for this one. Alexander the Great conquers a lot, and he conquers quickly. But he dies without a successor. His kingdom is divided among four generals, and two of those generals and their ancestors are going to be a real pain in the neck For Israel. But it's through them so far. People have been spread to Persia uh, through the Babylonians and then through the uh, through the Persians. And then they'll be spread because of Alexander the Great through the Greek Empire. And they're the ones who have the good news of salvation and the coming savior. And it's because of that the Old Testament will be translated into Greek. And this is what most of the time is quoted in in the New Testament. The New Testament will be written in Greek. 
And then he has this vision of another kingdom. And it's unlike the others. We again know through history when Jesus is born, it's the Romans that have conquered Israel. And they were a republic. They were kind of a different. They weren't just a dictator basically uh, conquering. And he sees on that beast that was unlike any other ten horns. Some people think it's the ten hills surrounding Rome. In my opinion, it's the ten waves of persecution. Some worse and some others that came. And out of that grows one horn, the Antichrist. And it is after these visions of these kingdoms, and we can see the Romans built roads and everything, all roads led to Rome, that really led to the, the, the Jews really spreading out throughout the Roman Empire, and the good news is coming. So like when the Apostle Paul comes with the good news of Christ, he could go to places like Rome, and he already finds Christians there. But in other places uh, throughout the Roman Empire, he finds Jewish worshipers and Gentile converts. And he preaches to them in Greek, thanks to Alexander the Great, that's still the universal language. It's used even though Latin is the language of the Roman Empire. But then comes today's text. And today's text tells us of the only kingdom that matters. And this kingdom is not isolated to Israel at all. So today, through this text, we see that Christ is the king of all creation because it's his kingdom. It's a prophecy of him. Verse 13 says, I continued seeing in visions of the night and look attentively. One like a son of man was coming together with clouds and he came to the ancient of days and they brought him before the ancient of days. The ancient of days is God, brothers and sisters in Christ. But Jesus is God. How can he come before God? In Old Testament prophecy, the birth of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, and oftentimes even the last days when he returns, all come together. But here we see what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. But we also see he'd seen beasts. And, and these were beasts that really didn't exist in nature. So he gives simile they're like this. But here he says one like a son of man. Jesus is man. He is God who took on human flesh. Hence he's like a son of man. God, for example, when he talks to the prophet Ezekiel, simply refers to him as son of man. But Jesus isn't just a man. He's 100% man, 100% God. He's God who took on human flesh. Christ is the king of all creation because he is true God and he is true man. And this is a comfort for us. Too often Christians will forget that he's true God and they think he's just a man. And he just becomes a good example of, hey, can't we all just get along and be all lovey-dovey? Other times they forget that he is true man and they think of him only as, a, as God. They deny the virgin birth or whatever and, and then they kind of have to earn salvation and he just sets an example as the other way. Or they think of him like as a, as a genie in a bottle or a lucky rabbit's foot that you pull out when you need it. But the king of all creation is king of all creation because he is true God and he is true man for you. And this means the God who has saved you, the God who took on human flesh, who then died in your place and rose victorious in your place and rules over heaven and earth, he understands your turmoil. He's not just a God at a distance watching over you. He is a God who feels your pain, who has taken on humanity. So when he lets you endure something, 
He's letting you do it for your own good. And we also know through the mystical union of all believers, he literally feels your pain. So it's a comfort for us to know that God, God sympathizes, empathizes with us, knows our pain. He's ruling over all creation as true God and true man and making all things serve your well-being. And when you are judged on the last day, this is the judge, the God-man, who will say, I put my Holy Spirit in your heart. You are my brother. You are my sister. Take the kingdom I won for you. Christ is the king of all creation because he's true God and true man. And we're told in verse 14, and dominion and honor and a kingdom were given to him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is this kingdom? As I said at the intro of, of today's service, it doesn't always seem like Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, even though he is ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, because we don't see him constantly with his power going, you pick on my church, wham, knock it off. No. But he does have that dominion. And theologians make a, a threefold distinction, kind of like an onion. And that first one is his kingdom of power. That kingdom of power includes the natural laws that he rules over all creation. It includes when he chooses to suspend those miracles. He does rule over all creation. And we find comfort in this because even today, we, there are nations like communist China that will persecute Christians because they don't worship in the way the state controls their religion. And in the Middle East, still today, <laughs> radical Islamists are, are happily killing Christians because they're Christians. And many of them that do tolerate Christians, they make them have doors facing the right way so they have to bow towards the way they think to go into their places to worship God. But brothers and sisters in Christ, they're not getting away with it. God is allowing it. Just like he allowed those ten persecutions that came through the Roman government, but the Romans discovered the more we try to kill these Christians, the more they pop up. When they appeared in places like Circus Maximus and were set before the wild animals to entertain the Romans, many of those Romans looked and said, my goodness, these people die noble deaths. They died, they would not deny their Lord. He rules. And he puts an end to those people who would be tyrants over his church, whether it's temporally in this life or whether it's when he comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The next kingdom he has, though, this is the big one. This is the one that truly is a comfort for you. When he appeared before Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. This kingdom we call his kingdom of grace. You know it as the invisible church. You know it as his rule in your heart as a believer. See, he rules his kingdom of power for the benefit of bringing people into and keeping them in that kingdom of grace, the invisible church. And the last kingdom... That's his kingdom of glory. And whenever somebody comes into his kingdom of grace, his glory is seen. But it's not seen as clearly in this world of darkness as it will be on the last day. Because on the last day, everybody who's rejected him, they're not a member of his kingdom of grace, the invisible church. They'll be sent to hell. Our sinful nature is going to be done away with. And that kingdom of glory is all there will be. No sin just the kingdom of glory, the new heavens and the new earth and your glorified body your, and only your new man freed from, the, from your sinful nature. Christ is the king of all creation because he's true God and true man and because all rule has been given to him by the Father. And again, 
His personal promise to you. He's ruled over creation to bring you into His kingdom of grace and keep you there so that you will see with your own eyes, you can see it through the eyes of faith now, but you will see it in all of its splendor and glory, His kingdom of grace, when you live in the new heavens and the new earth with your glorified body, when Christ comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords on the last day. Then we're told, and all the peoples, the nations, and the languages kept on giving worshipful service to Him. The other three kingdoms, while they were bent on human things, God used them to prepare the way for the kingdom of Christ. And I've talked about that. Spreading the Jews out through the Babylon, then through Persia, then through the Greek Empire, and then through the Roman Empire. And they had the word of God. But see, the people get confused today. Christians think it's all about the nation of Israel. Because in the Old Testament, oftentimes Israel, God's actually referring to the invisible Christian church, God's kingdom of grace. The political kingdom of of Israel was meant to visually represent that. But brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a completely different kind of nation. All the peoples, the nations, and the languages kept on giving worshipful service. This little kingdom began when a descendant of David, Joseph and Mary, make their way to Bethlehem, and the boy is born in a barn. That's really not the beginning of the kingdom of glory that we would expect, but it is the birth of the kingdom of glory. And this kingdom has spread. It didn't just spread to Israel. It spread through the world so that here we are today across the other side of the globe worshiping God. And as I mentioned, even though there are countries where Christians are persecuted in various degrees, I dare you to go to a country where you cannot find a Christian. All over the world, people worship the true God, the God-man, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And this kingdom is seen whenever we gather to worship Him. It transcends geological, political borders, geography, and languages. So here we are this morning giving worshipful service. And remember, worshipful service truly begins by hearing God's Word and believing it. Hearing your sins are forgiven by Christ and trusting He has won those. So we see Christ is the king of all creation because he's true God and true man who took on human flesh to save you because all rule has been given to him and he has ruled over all things to bring you to and keep you in in the faith because all true worship is given to him and that's all over the world and that includes you. And so we're told at the end of verse 14, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom will not be destroyed. Oh, wow. See, the devil thought he could destroy kingdom probably shortly after the seventh day of creation. And he found out he couldn't. We find out in Revelation, Jesus' death on the cross is when the devil was chained. Because the devil, in fact, one of the words for devil is accuser. Another word is liar. He lies to you to get you to sin, just like he lied to Adam and Eve. And, And then he accuses God. There it is. There's the sin. And God says, what are you talking about? All I see is the blood of my son, the God-man. But oftentimes people think that, and, and like devil worshipers and that, they think that the devil's going to be tricky and he's going to trick God. And there at the end there'll be a great battle and the devil will trick God and he'll just be able to win. No. See, the war's already been won. The devil was defeated on the cross, period. In fact, the devil was defeated for all creation when God cast him out of heaven. But his hold on you was defeated on the cross. The point here is nobody's going to sneak up and take the kingdom from Jesus. He's too powerful. It just can't happen. And he purchased and won you for that. 
His kingdom will never, ever be destroyed. Which means, for you who belong to the invisible church, who are in His kingdom of grace, you don't have to worry about it. It's in the bag. As long as you're in that kingdom, so long as you keep trusting in Him, what you get through His word, you're never going to be snatched out of His hand. He's going to continue ruling over all creation to keep you. Nobody's taking you from Him. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, Daniel sees this vision in Babylon, and it all culminates in what is the New Testament era and the day that Christ returns. And we see on this last Sunday of the church year that Christ is the king of all creations because he is true God and true man who has purchased and won you. Therefore, because all rule has been given to him, so he's ruled over all creation to bring you to and keep you in the faith because all true worship is given to him all over the world. His kingdom defies geography, political borders, languages, cultures, everything. And you're part of that because you're in that kingdom. And therefore, we find comfort because his kingdom will never be destroyed. It will only be made glorious and visible on the last day. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. May every heart confess your name forever you adore, enkindled with the Spirit's flame to love you more and more. Oh, may our tongues forever bless and honor you alone, and may we in our lives express the image of your own. Amen.